0: On behalf of the National Public Housing Museum, we thank you for tuning in to our oral history audio listening series, Out of the Archives. In each episode, we will share a diverse range of stories told by public housing residents from our oral history archive. Stories make up the backbone of any culture. They tell us who we are and where we are from, they create empathy and understanding, and they allow us an opportunity to share our experiences and learn the words of others. The stories in our archive lift with the voices of an oftentimes marginalized community and create a space for important conversations to happen. Here at the museum, we firmly believe in the power and importance of everyday stories and their ability to expand and redefine our understanding of American history. Our mission is to preserve, promote, and propel the right of all people to a place where they can live and prosper, a place to call home, we hope that this collection of stories not only reinforces that belief, but can shed a light on an American experience that is all too often left unheard. This episode, Silent Voices Among Us, stories from Chicago's Henry Horner homes, corresponds with our exhibition, Silent Voices Among Us, a montage of Chicago's West Side, a photojournalistic series from former Henry Horner resident Dr. Cranston Knight. The exhibition and the stories in this episode speak to the redevelopment of the Henry Horner homes' apartments and suggest ways to challenge systemic issues of poverty that have been prevalent in the neighborhood for decades. The storytellers from this episode include Sharon Jeanette Leggett, Maria Moon, Crystal Palmer, John Pettiford, Marina Pullum, and Patricia Boyd Smith. The Henry Horner Homes were constructed between 1957 and 1959 and contained 920 units. Thousands of residents lived in the Henry Horner Homes between 1957 and 1995 when demolition of the Henry Horner Homes began. The demolition ran in phases between 1995 and 2008 which made way for the new West Haven mixed income community which was established in 1997. There is one remaining building from the original Henry Horner Homes, which is located at 1815 West Monroe Street. The stories in this episode span from 1962
1: to 2013. Hi, my name is Marina Pullum. A lot of people be saying, um, I don't, uh, I'm glad the project's down. I, I don't, I had so many friends. I got so many friends because of living in Horner. when my son t- see me talking to speaking to so many people, he be like, "How you know this person? How that per you know that person?" I knew somebody from the 15th floor, the 13th floor, maybe two buildings over on the third floor, the the, the second floor. It was just it was like a big community. Everybody knew everybody. It's it's not like how it is now. You go outside and you don't know nobody, you don't know nobody, mama or cousin or nothing. Back then it was really like, it was uh, a knit, even though later on the buildings ended up being, uh, they turned into something else, when, when drugs came on the scene. But other than that, before any of that happened, everybody was real, real close.
0: Mm-hmm. You could
1: go somewhere and your neighbors will watch your kids, the lady downstairs will watch your kids. It's, Not nothing like how it is now.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm. My mom, she always was a thrift shopper and not just a thrift shopper, she worked at the Goodwill. So we had the best furniture. We had the leather couches. (laughs) Mm -hmm. We had like the big um, lamps. We had a a dining room table and people didn't have that in the project. So a lot of people, when they see me today, they be like, oh girl, I remember when you grew up, y'all had everything. (laughs) Y'all had this, y'all had that. Mm a lot of people be telling me that a lot of my friends told me that they wish that my mama was was their mama. Sometimes I used to hurt my feelings. I'd be like, why would you say that you wish somebody else's mother was was your mother? We had a little bit more than than other people did. It's cause my mama managed her money better. And I, I do the same thing. I still go to goodwill. My daughter go to goodwill. Mm-hmm. It's just like the apple don't fall far from a tree. We right. we still we still do it.
3: Miss Crystal Palmer.
2: From that, I mean, that relationship has lasted all of these years. I'm 57 now, and I was 13 then. So that's like 43, 44 years. That's my family, you know. And, you know, to me, that that is what the projects was, you know, and still is today is a family relationship that you built there those relationships don't go nowhere even if people that you didn't like or they didn't like you because you have reunions around you know every year you get to see those people even though you know and it's still love because we have something in common together you know and that's the project I came there to stir up stuff but I didn't come to stir up in a negative way I came to stir it up in a positive way and to build People's relationships and to build people's um, quality of life uh, and instilled in them that they can do better, that they should do better, and that we can help you get to that point. So, God opened those doors for me, uh, and I just started teaching what He gave me to people. And then from that, and travel all around the place telling a story about public housing, telling my story, you know, about, you know, you can, that's cause you from public housing does not mean that you at the bottom of the barrel, even though society may think that because it's just a biased perception. You know, when people sit down and talk to you and me, they don't see a project once, a project once they get to know us and talk to us. They don't see that. You know, it's it's a perception that people have. People write books. Some books are fictional, some books are non-fictional. There's a lot of non-fictional books that's going on. Now, if you want to know facts, you go to the people, and that's where you get the truth about what happened in the project. Yep, there was a lot of people got killed. Yeah, there was a lot of people lost their lives. You know, they don't talk about people falling out of windows, babies falling out of windows, dying, falling from the 14th, 13th, 15th, 16th floor. They don't talk about that. They don't talk about the fires that happened in the buildings and people were, locked in their houses. They have bars on their door because they're afraid people are going to break in the house and steal all that stuff. And people lives, they die. But they talk about all the negative stuff about somebody got shot or they gangbangers or they do that. But what about the other stuff that went on in the project that people don't talk about? Right, that we, you and me, had to live through. Our stories that are the truth, not a fictional character, a real character that can tell the value of what public housing has done for us. Yep, that was some negative stuff, but lo and behold, that was some great stuff. I stand here today in greatness as a product of public housing. Everywhere I go, I tell them I'm from public housing. I am, I'm from public housing. And it's, it's so entrenched in me that when I bought my home, I bought my home less than a mile away, on the same street. 2051 was on Maypole, the back of the building was on Maypole and Hoyne. I live on Maypole in California. The same street, that same L that ran through making all that noise. I hear that same L every day. And, and you know, my daughter, to said, why are you always moving in the same neighborhood? And I was like, girl, why would I want to go somewhere else? Why would I want to go somewhere else? This place has given me my life. It has built me to this person that I am today. Why would I want to move away from that? My foundation is there. My friends are still there. That's my community. And why would I want to leave it? I invested my life in this place. And it invested its life into me. So no, I'm not going anywhere. That's what the project means to me.
4: My name is John Pettifor, the West side, and I not know which way I came from. Uh, they got the low income housing over there as well, but they do have other housing that you can purchase if you want. And it just looks really, really nice. And from what I can see, the people that's there are trying to keep it up, uh, if you will. Now, uh, they got these other uh, units that they remodeling uh, just west of Western, or close to Western uh, on the west side in Washington, up in that area. Um, I was over there uh, a couple weeks ago And a lot of the uh, units that they had over there they remodeling it and it looks to me that once they get done it's going to be really really nice over there so yeah I think that was a good thing to uh, turn on the projects but you know some they did leave up and they working with them and It's starting to really, really look good for them as well. Like over behind the United Center, uh, they got the valley, which what we call is the valley another part of uh, public housing. They did not tear those down. They remodeled them. And it looked really, really nice over there. I mean, (laughs) wow, it looks really, really nice over there. And it seems that those people that's living over there are trying to keep it up so they were so it looked real real nice over there and I'm all for it. It's good. The valley which other one everything else was uh actually torn down uh, to make way for the for the new structure of uh new housing and I'ma just go out on a limb here. I don't think that the project is done over in that area. I believe it's some new construction is gonna start. Another phase is gonna start very, very soon over in that area. I just don't think it's done yet. You know, I mean, it's a lot of more area over there that I believe uh, the United Center is gonna build on. You know, and I just don't see it being flat like that. I see some more new construction coming in and maybe a hotel or two going up. That whole area is starting to change. So uh, that's what I see in the very, very near future. I'm talking about within the next five years, you know, some more construction is going to be going up over there. Hopefully, I'll be in a better position to be over there because I was born and raised on the west side. And it's a shame that I was born and raised in an area that I can't even live in no more because it's outpriced where I can't even afford to stay there. Talk about hard luck. (laughs) That's what that is. Well, when it first started off, we had a good relationship. Uh, before they even started building it because they had the old stadium there. So when the grants and uh, the opportunities came through for the new stadium to go up, of course, we were told about that. Yes, they had bids on it. Started bidding on it and they had a committee that Jobs was given to, of course, they was only given to people that, you know, that they knew. It wasn't like you can go and apply for a job and they gave it to you, know, you know. You had to be known. But yeah, the jobs were set out. They gave us jobs, gave jobs to people who really wanted to work. Then once it was up, a lot of other people continued to work in there. So, As far as our relationship was done uh, with them, when it first went up we had a very good relationship. But after the buildings came down, and the boys club really, once the boys club came down, all ties with the United Center started fading very, very slowly until it just completely disappeared. no relationship with them at all now because they don't have a committee from Henry Horner that they had in the previous years. They do not have that committee now. So it's no ties to the United Senate. Well, it was a committee made up by the director of the uh, Chicago Boys Club of America. They had their own committee, and I can't think of the name of that committee that they had. But anyway, the one, the guys that made up that committee, the director of it, I think he passed. And I can't, I can't remember, 'cause it was so many years ago, and I really can't remember. Um, anybody else that was really on that committee or what they actually done up to this point. Cause like I said, the committee has been long gone. But when it first started, my dad was on that committee. And when things started going south before my dad passed, when things started going south, he got off the committee because he didn't like what was going on. So he didn't want to be a part of it anymore. I I can remember that. As good as just yes, as last night yesterday my dad came in and told me that committee is a joke you know they only want to give jobs to the people they know jobs set for the whole community to work but the jobs still going outside the community So, you know that's another story
5: hello my name is Sharon Jeanette Leggett The uh, Black Panthers used to feed the uh, young kids and everything, yeah. I used to be up there with them and feed the young kids. They used to have that service. They used to talk about the Black Panthers uh, doing a lot of wrong, but they don't never talk about the good that the Black Panthers did. They used to feed, I used to be up there with them helping feed the uh, young kids and stuff. Yeah, they used to do that. They don't. They'll never say nothing about that, though. Yeah, they feed the kids. Yep, and uh, 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 uh Bethlehem Hill and Temple used to feed the kids and stuff. Yeah. That's a
6: church.
5: Mhm. That's where I got baptized at. Yep. Yep. Bethlehem Hill and Temple and and uh, the Black Panthers. Yeah. That's where you can get some free meals and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people just scattered, you know, scattered. A lot of friendships were broken up, you know, business, uh, you know. Um, um, uh, I don't even know the communities no more over there no more, you know. Everything to changed so much. People moved in and just now it's now I don't even know know the community over there no more. I I don't think it was good because I I think they should have kept their promise of putting the people back in the community because I think it's worse now because uh, the violence is really it's really worse. They should have uh, kept their promise about keeping the people back in the community, because they they putting people back in uh, uh, the community. Uh, 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 they're not keeping their promise. They put put people. Uh, 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 they scattering people, and now the uh, you don't know what what what's. It's not right. It's not right. They didn't keep their promise. I don't think they kept their promise. They didn't. And now the people is angry, they're really angry. They really, they really are.
3: Maria Moon.
6: I feel like America always want people, especially black and brown people to take accountability because we criminalize and We looked at criminals as criminals. They want us, it's all about accountability. People need to take, but I feel like America has not taken accountability. We've been in America for so long and we're still going through things like this. It is ridiculous. We're still on the back of the bus, metaphorically, systematically. You know, um, it's a statistic about wars of the state. Um, it's a high percentage of wars of the state going to prison, you know, having exes on their back. It's one of the highest. Um, percentiles of people that's incarcerated so it was like it was it's, it's it's like an expectation it's a statistic you know and i was actually part of that statistic that started out in the system and just went on ahead through the rest of the system because i went straight from being a ward to the state straight from doing 13 years in the penitentiary Um. Yeah, the way I look at it is, everything that I've been through, like living in public housing, and um, I was also diagnosed with PTSD when I went in that first hospital though, because um, because of all the shooting and stuff, all of the shooting and stuff uh, that I heard all the time. So I believe almost every child, if not every child, but well not just child, People period who live in public housing probably have PTSD, but go undiagnosed because those resources were not in our neighborhoods. We didn't have resources like that. We barely, the police would bea- barely even come the projects. And when we called them, they took so long when we needed help, but we would have to call more than once, multiple times. But we didn't have a good relationship with the police anyway. We didn't trust them. They didn't trust us. It's as simple as that. The way it's always been, from generation to generation, you hear that, and everybody acting like it's so new. This is nothing new. This is old. It's not a shock to me. It's just media and so you know social media and all that. It's just out there more. Um, I just couldn't understand why we been stacked on top of each other like that. It was something wrong with that. The cinerators, I mean, overflowing with diapers and this and that. The elevators always broken. Like my mom even told me this story, my mom and my auntie, about how they lived on the 13th floor in those same projects. And the elevator was barely working. So when they went grocery shopping, when they went, when they couldn't go grocery shopping. That's <laughs> talking about poverty. You know people in the projects in the 60s and my... My people was in those projects from, it was the fifties or the sixties when they first got up. My grandmother, my grandparents was over there. But imagine that you going grocery shopping, you going to the large man, you got to walk up 13 flights. That is crazy. Dark hallways, dark, that is, I, I, I can't even like fathom that, you know, but you know, it's just, it was, I believe that It's important what a person see, especially when they're young. It matters those smallest things. And I'm not just talking about what people do, like people do around you and you witness. No, I'm talking about writing on the wall. I'm talking about seeing that the police would not show up for you. I'm talking about seeing the United Center It's like a gulf, like it's like this gulf between whites and blacks. That's what the Henry Hornets represented to me because I didn't even know I was a part of the West Loop really until a couple of months ago in my class because I'm an inner city study student and we had to, you know, talk, you know, name where we were from. I'm just, I'm just like the Hornets. I would never think I'm from the West Loop because the West Loop is downtown for me, to me. The West Loop is for white people. My first time ever going to Macy's was yesterday. Yesterday. I've never stepped into Macy's before. Because to me, that was like for white people, you know? It wasn't for us. Um, a lot of people may not understand that and they may feel like, oh, you should do this and you should do that. And I get a lot of that, I should what? But the truth is, is this my story and this is how I feel about downtown. I feel like it's a white world and it wasn't meant for me and it's a lot of beautiful things, but it wasn't created for me, for people like me. And the same thing with the United Center. It was flooded with white people to see this one black man, Michael Jordan, that we looked up to like, yeah, somebody that made us feel like we was something. But it really made me feel like it was nothing. Because why weren't we flooding? You know what we was doing? Some little guys scapping tickets, going through police brutality over there, a white exploitation, because this white family who just pulled up in their bins or whatever, they get them three dollars to wash their cars all night. You see how you using young people? It's just, it just was—it was another form of slavery too. You ask me. Oh, gentrification hurts. just Gentrific- gentr- oh gentrification. It is. It makes you feel helpless. It makes you feel powerless. You know because. The year that this really started, I know as far, especially with the Hornets, was 2000. 2000 was the year I got locked up. I got back home, it was gone. It's like, where's my home? Where I come from don't matter. Or like, where's my memories? Like, you know, it was like a family member died. And it's like, it's just all in my head now. It's just all in my head and my heart now. But it, it wasn't just about The projects is my home. It's about the fact, like somebody need to hear what the hell was going on with us, what was done to us, the way we felt over there, what we went through. It's like that's why I do like that idea of the National um, Public Housing Museum because, like, our voices need to be heard. Like, it was just crazy. And it's is real is one of the most important things in my life, the fact that I come from the projects. Like I be like, I come from the, I tell people I be like I'm from the Hornets, from the Projects West Side, you know. <laughs> my father from Inglewood though. Father from Inglewood. And it was a yeah, it was a separation in that West Side and South Side, you know. He kind of had a little lot of skepticism about me because I'm from the West Side, you know. kind of separate us a little. It's kind of crazy though. I don't even think I want to talk about that because it's so weird that people could be so like involved in stuff that it's like, (laughs) it affects personal relationships like that. But it gets deep. It gets deep here in America. It gets real deep.
3: My name is Patricia Boyd Smith. I live in Chicago, Illinois south side of Chicago now. I'm from Henry Horner Homes. I moved in Henry Horner Homes in 1964. Built in 1850 West Washington. Army 501 in the back of the boys club. Uh, we moved in there, my mother and my sisters, my mother and my brothers, because I'm from a family of uh, three generations. My mother had children from the 30s to 40s and the 50s, which one I was one of the last in the 50s. And I had a younger brother, McThaniel. He was born in the 50s. The rest of them was 40s and the 30s. So I was 14 years old when I moved in Henry Horner. I went to Manly Upper Grade Center because that's the school I was going to when I moved up here. So that's where I graduated from grammar school. From there I went to Lucy Flowers. I graduated in 1968. Emotional support, just a friend, a hug, a kiss. Like now when we run into each other, that's exactly what we do. Hug and kiss each other. Glad to see each other after so many years mm-hmm. because a lot of us not here. A lot of people that we grew up with, they're not here anymore. So you'll be glad to see the ones
0: that still here.
3: It's a blessing.
0: Once again, the NPJM thanks you for listening to this episode of Out of the Archives. This series is supported by the Institute of Museum and Library Services, the Illinois Arts Council Agency, Illinois Humanities, the Kresge Foundation, and the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events. This episode was engineered by Seth Engel. We'd like to give one last huge thanks to our storytellers, Sharon Jeanette Leggett, Maria Moon, Crystal Palmer, John Pettiford, Marina Pullum, and Patricia Boyd Smith, as well as the members of the museum's Oral History Corps and other oral historians who helped to gather these stories, including Francesco de Salvatore, Raymond McDonald, and Maria Moon. Thanks again for listening, and we look forward to sharing more stories with you next month.